Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? Do you want to know how to slip into the Silicon Valley bloodstream? To meet the right people, and perhaps most importantly, to raise money? Then this week's guest on Danny in the Valley is the man for you. I had to succeed. I did not have a choice of a failure. Saeed Amidi is the founder of Plug and Play, which bills itself as the world's largest startup accelerator. Every year, thousands of companies come through his doors, and Amidi invests in an astonishing number of them, about three a week. He's had some very big hits in the past, including Dropbox, and in his earlier days, he gave Larry Page and Sergey Brin their first rented office space. He invested in them, too. Plug and Play is an interesting model and a very chaotic building, uh, it's, uh, which is, I guess, is what you would expect from a place that houses more than 450 companies. I've been there a few times now, and there's always a lot of nervous, unhealthy-looking engineers pacing the halls in hushed conversations and delegations of executives streaming in and out. The ceilings are hung with flags from every country you can think of, and the walls are plastered with poster boards of past startups that have either been bought or gone public. Walking in is kind of like a sensory experience. It feels like a startup flea market. But Amidi sat down to explain the method to his madness and how he went from rank outsider, newly arrived from Iran amid the revolution nearly 40 years ago, to what he is today, one of the best connected deal makers in Silicon Valley. Enjoy. You know, I started Plug and Play about 10 years ago. And uh, at that time, Y Combinator was, uh, and still is, in my opinion, the best accelerator in the world. And as time went by, there was a lot of different people trying to do the same. You know, give some money, give some mentoring, give place to work. I feel, if you ask me, I think it has reached the point that you have to do something special to be an accelerator. And quite frankly, about two, three years ago, we like to call our different uh, verticals innovation platform. And when you have an innovation platform for example, for mobility. Right, because here it's a, you have all 450 companies, but they're organized in kind of groups, right? That's so right. That's mobility, right. insurance. We like to invest in the seed or A round. Usually the round, if it's a seed round, is a million dollars. And we don't want to invest alone. So we will invest a couple of hundred thousand dollars, right. like two to three hundred max. Then when we participate in A round, we would like the A round to be three to five million dollars. But by that time, usually there is one or two VCs involved. And again, myself and a group of angels 
we may do half a million dollar in that uh, A round. But our ticket size is hundred to two hundred thousand dollars per investment. And so, across the company, how many investments are you making per year? In this location, yeah, I do about hundred and fifty investments a year. A year. And in Europe, in Germany and France, I do about 50 investments a year. And specifically in China, we are planning to do between 50 to 100 investments per year. That's a lot of investments. A lot of praying. You know, we invest <laughs> a little money and then we pray a lot. Right, yeah. What was your, your biggest miss? My biggest miss was Airbnb. The three founders were physically in this office. Sitting right where I am? No, actually they came to behind me in the little auditorium. We actually uh, had shook hand on 400,000 investment for 20% Airbnb. And it was myself and Tim Draper. Mm Mm-hmm. In that specific year, me and Tim would look at uh, four startups per month, and we choose one to invest in. And that month, the flavor was Airbnb. And uh, during the due diligence and the documentation and process, we thought perhaps some of these uh, places that are renting space there will be a big risk factor and liability. And uh, I would say we chickened out. And that would have been perhaps... Uh, That's bigger than Dropbox. Investment. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, they're worth about and $30 billion now, supposedly. Uh, yes, that's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, again, we would have been almost the first seed money in it. Four hundred grand for twenty percent. Yes, I think we did it at two million pre. It's a little bit. It would have been for like eighteen percent of the company, seventeen percent. Two million pre. We were going to put in four hundred k. Again, does uh, that keep you up at night? None at all. None at all. I mean, like, uh, I would have loved. I mean, I have had about four what I we call unicorns. So I think I have been uh, lucky enough to have a few great ones. And uh, again, I just feel privileged to be on the path yeah. of uh, these founders. You just didn't buy the idea that people would want to stay at a, just a stranger's house. I actually love the company, you know, because when I was a child, we used to go to Caspian Sea north of uh, Tehran. And very soon the hotels and the motels would be full. So then you would have people with a little sign on the main street saying, I have a room for rent. And it was like it's like an old business that has been modernized with, again, our smartphone and our computers. So I loved the idea. I thought it's going to take off, and Tim loved the idea. But uh, quite frankly, a lot of investors at that time were scared of liability. And it happens that... Well, if somebody yeah. trashes a place or something happens... That's right. Or, right. And no more than that. If somebody would get physically hurt, and if they had an early couple of big lawsuits, I think it would have uh, damaged the company. Right. 
Right. But it, you know, again, I'm uh, I I can say uh, like a lot of opportunities in life. Uh, I am lucky that I had that opportunity. Some of the decisions I make right, and some of them wrong, and. I have a very nice experience column that I put everything in there. Right. <laughs> yeah. So can we go back to how the how you got here? Because you have a um, not a typical path to becoming a you know a that's, venture capitalist and uh, right. running an accelerator. Um, I, I I thought maybe you heard today that Dara Khosrow Shahi just yes. became the yes. CEO of Uber. Yeah. He also has a pretty similar background to me. So I came to U.S. Uh, as a student to go through high school and college. Here and in the Bay Area. That's right, at Menlo College yeah. here in Menlo Park. And quite frankly, I was planning to join the family business in Iran, and we had a little interest in banking. What we year was this? a little interest in insurance. 1979. But most of our businesses were uh, manufacturing and retail. The group was called Bella Group. But this uh, little revolution in 1979, uh, you know, changed uh, my plans. Mm. And uh, quite frankly, that same summer, I started my first company, which is uh, like packaging and a bottled water business called Alps. American. Was it was bottled water a thing in 79? I don't no, know. No, I, everybody thought I was really smart uh, <laughs> <laughs> because at that time, it was funny, an American liquid packaging system, I invited uh, like 20 Coca-Cola bottlers and 20 Pepsi-Cola bottlers from around the world for us to show them that bottled water is going to be a big thing. And uh, I didn't realize that Coke and Pepsi people don't come to the same seminar. So suddenly, two days before my seminar, all of the Pepsi people canceled. So this is going back 25 years ago. I helped to build uh, 120 bottled water plants around the world. And then I kind of said, my God, the factories are making more money than me. So then I actually built 10 for myself through a joint venture. Here in the States or all no, over the world? All over the world, right. from uh, Paris to Spain to Austria to Norway. In fact, I had a plan to do 50 of them. But wow. after 10, I ran out of money and <laughs> ran and who out are you of building a, who are you bottling for? Is so it all the big brands? Specifically, for example, in Spain, we did a joint venture with Guinness, which was owned by Diageo. Mm -hmm. Then uh, we did a joint venture with Heineken. So in different countries, as the beer business or the beverage business stopped, growing, the growth was less than 2% a year. When I proposed to them bottled water business, which was growing at 20% a year, they thought is a really interesting idea. And then actually we specialized in what I call 
uh, home and office delivery, which is both more economical, ecological, and it's better for the environment. So that is the focus I have had for the last 25 years in bottled water business. And the interesting thing about plug and play and technology is every time I used to eat with my friends around Palo Alto, and I used to tell them I'm in bottled water business and packaging business, sitting on University Avenue, they thought I'm joking. Right. So that's kind of triggered us to make some what I call angel investing, primarily through friends around University Avenue. And uh, when uh, sort of PayPal wanted to move to our building, we were able to invest in PayPal. So was it just it, a building you bought? Or? Yeah, in fact, a lot of, because we also own Medallion Rug Gallery on University Avenue, some people combined the two, but actually the Medallion uh, Rug Gallery was a block or two away from my right. office which I call it the Lucky Building, 165 University Avenue. Why do you call it the Lucky Building? It's because other than PayPal, Google moved in when they were three people, and they stayed there till they were 50 people. And then Andy in the in the rug gallery? No, no, no. In the in, the, in, in the your building. office building, yeah, right. one sixty-five. So University. you knew Larry and Sergey were back in the day. Yeah, I, and Omid Kordestani is uh, my best friend who wow. helped to build Google. In fact, he always tells me a funny story. He says, Said, when I went for my like final interview, it was physically in your old office. So he thought it had a good feeling. Right, right, right. And I remember he said, Said, I don't know if I should stay at AOL or join Google. AOL uh, was really big. Big, big then, yes. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he, luckily enough, he chose to go to Google and help to build Google. And so did you invest in Google? We did, but not directly. At that time, we invested in Angel LLP, Ron Conway's little fund, and uh, Ron invested in Google. So actually, it was really good because, uh, because of the bubble, everybody lost money, but this Angel LLP fund did well because of the Google investment right. and a couple of other. So did you make a bajillion dollars off your investment in Google? I wish I could say yes, but we just pretty much uh, two, three investments saved the fund. Right. But uh, it was not a big return uh, through that fund. We did much better with uh, PayPal because it was a direct investment, and we did great with uh, Dropbox, you know, because but Dropbox is still private. Hmm. Yes, but there is a new thing in Silicon Valley. I mean, for some of the people who may not know it, there is an incredibly active second market. And if any company reaches even $500 million valuation, pretty much uh, if you have credited buyers and sellers, you could buy and sell Uber shares or Dropbox right. shares. So and have you already sold out of Dropbox? We are still have some shares, but 
uh, we invested in Dropbox when it was worth less than $10 million. And when it reached four or five billion, we thought it's really cool. So we did exit the uh, yeah. majority of our interest. So can you say how much you made on that? Yeah, we invested about 100,000 and change, and we had over 100 million return. That's got to be the best you've <laughs> yeah. best investment you've had. Yes, actually, I do have a couple of investments that are at about a thousand X as well, but I haven't exited yet. But did uh, as far as uh, realized return, yes, Dropbox has been the best we have ever done. How'd you get into PayPal? It was very interesting. PayPal actually, Peter Till came to rent a space from us on University Avenue building in our lucky building yeah and as my brother was negotiating the rent with Peter we also he I should say he also negotiated to put in money in the seed round of PayPal your brother did yes yes on our behalf right right because it's you and your brother this is this investment that's right right. that's right and this is pre-plug-and-play. This is you guys This just is way pre-plug-and-play. This is 25 years ago. So right. generally, we used to invest in four or five uh, seed rounds per year. And then uh, slowly, we started investing in 20 per year. And nowadays, as I mentioned to you, we still write small checks, but we do over 100. So. Right. And how much did you put into PayPal? I think we put about 100 as well. And that one was only 150x. That's but it was it's still terrible. very good <laughs> <laughs> since it was 20 plus years ago. Yes. Coming to it from outside yeah. the industry, was there a steep learning curve? Because I imagine, especially with professional venture capitalists, when they get involved, you might turn around and find that your great stake from your seed round ends up being minuscule or mm-hmm. getting squeezed out you look like you're a, quite an athlete do you ever do judo <laughs> i don't do judo no okay so there is a move in judo that you sort of use the other person's weight, weight to uh, sort of you use a, a weakness for a strength uh, using the other person and we always thought as you said that since we did not study uh, engineering, since we were not involved in technology from beginning, we thought that is our weakness. So to turn that into a strength, we would not do an angel investment unless we had showed the startup to several uh, VCs several technology friends all of our friends were involved in technology you know to give you like a direct example one of our best investment was lending club Mm. which we did the seed round with a couple of other angels they went public a couple years ago right 2014 uh, december 8th i think they went public at six billion dollar valuation But before investing in Lending Club, I had showed Lending Club to Jeff Crow of Norwest and several other VCs that uh, they said, my God, if this peer-to-peer lending works, it can be a very big business 
and it can be a new category. So whatever we could not uh, figure out ourselves, we would choose, right now we choose corporations like Deutsche Bank, US Bank, Credit Suisse. So we show the technology and the idea to them. And if everybody lines up and says, this is such a great idea, we would love to invest, but it's little early. As part of our due diligence these days, we show the startups to 20 corporations and 20 VCs, or what we call super angels. Before you invest. Before we make a decision. So you know we are from a part of Iran called Kashan, that we are very scared or conservative, you could say. So we actually do a quite a bit of due diligence ourselves. We have a very smart team members, but we also do verification by the purchaser of the technology, which is corporations or great angels and VCs. Right. What do entrepreneurs get out of coming here? Because, I mean, I've seen a lot of them. Uh, you walk around, you see there'll be like tables and be like a, a paper that says, you know, company X or company Y. Yeah. And some of them don't even seem to be here necessarily. Is it about them just getting access to big corporates? Yeah. You know, I mentioned to you that we have about 450 startups in the building. I would say approximately half of the startups are what we call permanent residents. They might come here when they are two to three people, and they usually leave when they are 20 to 30. And they stay with us for two years. The other half, they usually join one of our programs. And let's say for our insurance program, if you are one of the 30 companies that have been chosen while we reviewed 1,000 startups, if you are one of the lucky 30 and you join what we call our innovation platform for that batch, during the three months that the program is going on, you will be introduced to 50 insurance companies and 50 investors. And we feel if you have a good technology, at least 20 of the insurance companies would do a pilot and 10 of them will become a customer. And usually in 70% of the cases, if you're interested to raise money, you will be able to raise money by the end of the program. And we repeat this program every six months here in our headquarter. And uh, recently we decided to have an insure tech hub in New York and an insure tech hub in Tokyo. So we will repeat the same process in New York, Tokyo, and then perhaps in actually in Paris with BMP Paribas, we do have an insure tech hub as well. Nothing in London. We, as I can't say anything, but it's something may happen very soon in London. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> I usually tell people if I tell you, then I have to kill you. Yeah. But, but I thought maybe this is on the record now. So yeah. 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 Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. How many corporate partners do you have? We have uh, very close to 200. Do the entrepreneurs or the companies themselves, do they, are they effectively paying you rent to be here as well, or how does the, that work? The startups, while they are in one of our programs, do not pay us rent. So they are welcome to stay here three to six months. But when the program is finished and we have graduation, which we call it's an expo, Pretty much the program is finished, but if the startup sees the benefit of being here, then they may choose to rent a couple of uh, desks if they are out of state or out of country startup, but some of them choose to move their whole headquarters here. 
Right. But during the program, we helped the startup raise money. We helped the startup do business development and get customers. And most importantly, they become part of community. Like, quite frankly, in InsureTech, we think we have the best innovation platform in the world. So to be just part of this platform, you suddenly are recognizing the world and a lot of doors open. So you have 200 companies who are all paying for access to these startups. So this sounds like it's a cross between, you know, just a technology accelerator and also just a a quite lucrative real estate model. (laughs) No, somebody uh, told me, Saeed, you should change the name from plug and play to plug and pay. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but, But quite frankly, to run one of these innovation platform is not easy. You know, we are like, for example, at Money 2020 in Las Vegas coming up, we run the startup track. That means we bring all of the startup to Las Vegas, they would present. We have to go to every major show in the world. Like in insurance business, there is a most prestigious uh, insurance gathering roundtable called Geneva Associate. Is the top 80 insurance companies in the world, CEOs gather, and they have asked us to participate and show them where is the future of insurance. But generally, we travel constantly both to these different insurance companies' headquarters, different events. We ourselves hold over 300 events here in Plug and Play. Specifically for InsureTech, we may have 20 events per year here. And, you know, you could sort of say we make a lot of money, but we also actually spend a lot of money building this innovation platform. And my personal goal is to find the Uber or the Airbnb of the insurance business. And when I do that, similar to getting lucky and investing in Lending Club or PayPal or Dropbox, I think that is the return we are actually looking for. Right. And that one return makes it all work financially. It's the, if I can tell you what sort of makes me tick, one is, of course, I'm looking for that return. I think that's your scorecard. But more importantly, to be part of the game, to be part of the industry and be recognized as an investor, as a innovation platform that we help startups succeed. Quite frankly, I think the journey, I mean, to watch a game or to watch a sport is wonderful. But if you can really play it, it's even more fun. Yeah. So I really am uh, sort of proud and lucky and grateful 
that we are part of the game. It's a quite an exciting game that will change the world via technology. And to sort of matter in this world, I think it's great. And I enjoy if an uh, entrepreneur comes and says, Said, three out of the most important things in our journey came through plug and play. The three most important contacts, three most important customers, that kind of uh, makes me a happier guy. Right. And if I made money, that's even better. Of course. Yeah. Is there a an issue around this idea of tech tourism? Because you have a lot of international companies here who kind of come to Silicon Valley for a little bit of tech, Love and touch. Yeah, tech magic dust. Yeah. Um, and you see, you talk to these companies, you're like, okay, so would you, oh, I went to Facebook and then I met this VC and then I saw some companies and then I went back home and told my boss I did that and isn't this great? And it was like a really nice expensive week in California, but That's produced right. nothing. You know, the, I think everything uh, starts with uh, technology tourism. You know, to give you a specific example, one of my best partners out of Germany is Axel Springer a media company you may know. So they started their uh, exposure to Silicon Valley five years ago when a couple of the executives came and even lived here for a year. And then uh, they went back and they helped the media company digitally transform themselves. And because of that, I would say they are much more profitable and they are doing great. I think they just recently purchased uh, a company in New York. Uh, I will think about the name soon. So the whole idea is we get 10,000 visitors a month. Here? In plug and play. And uh, I would say 80% of them is just they want to see what's happening. We get visitors, you know, like uh, Mr. Jokovi, or I should call him President Jokovi of Jakarta. When he comes to Silicon Valley, he's part of the tour. Usually it's Google, Facebook. It used to be Cisco, but it's no longer Cisco. <laughs> so now my Cisco <laughs> friends will hate me. But it used to be Cisco, HP, even Intel. But right now, the cool places to visit is Stanford, Plug and Play, Facebook, Google, Uber has become cool, and Airbnb has become cool. They have a really cool office. But after the first couple of trips, some of these big global corporations, they actually go through innovation transformation. So right now, majority of our corporate partners have chief innovation officer or chief digital officer. And I don't think it's any longer tourism. I really think they need to try to be more innovative faster than ever before if they don't want to be sort of like Nokia or Motorola. Or Palm or, or Palm. any of these guys. Exactly. Yeah. So it starts with, uh, you know, I would say first visit, 
But some of the companies are incredibly serious about it, and they take advantage of what is happening in Silicon Valley. Two years ago, say, there's tons of unicorns being minted. There was, you know, 120 or whatever it was, a large number. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those have gone away or quietly been bought for a lot less or collapsed or whatever. Um, do you think we're already on the back side of that? Or do you think we still have a long way to go and that, you know, I spoke with Mark Andreessen very recently and he said, you know, we're just kind of getting started because there's a whole industries like insurance that haven't really been touched yet that now tech is kind of aiming at. I must say I agree with him, you know, because if you say the first set of technologies that really took off, it's uh, the social media search, a lot of uh, B2C businesses that have changed everybody's life. And I feel this new wave of technology will improve productivity in the industrial world. It improves productivity in the banking, in insurance. You know, if you talk in retail right now, there is one big competitor, Amazon, that everybody is going after. But I personally feel in each industry that we touch, and even if it is automotive industry, if it's electronic industry, we are at the tip of the iceberg that the industry is embracing change, embracing technology, and entrepreneurship. A lot of big corporations right now are trying to go to a cultural change that instead of centralized control, they want to try new products, new services fast and even fail fast. So, and I feel this where we live, it's going to be in the center of all future changes. Right. You know, I must say I am surprised, you know, because we built a platform in Stuttgart called uh, Startup Autobahn. And now we have Mercedes, Porsche, HPE involved. And we have been able to do 62 pilots in the last nine But days. startups doing pilots at big corporates. Yes. Right. And when I had my last expo in Stuttgart, 850 people showed up to look at 28 startups. The 28 startups were from 12 countries, a few from Germany. But I think this whole innovation, technology, transformation is contagious. And I would dare to say there is going to be a lot of exciting technologies coming out of China and Europe. Is there not a difference, though, in the level of ambition here where you know somebody says i'm going to change the world and you don't get laughed out of the room where having i lived in london for 13 re years if you said that to anybody in london you would get laughed out of the room yeah you know the europeans the germans and japanese are much more conservative and humble but i think that is even changing if you take china in particular 
if you take Alibaba or Tencent or number of technologies, I think actually they will have more unicorns than U.S. But uh, it is the sort of the mentality that needs to change. Yeah, to change the chip, so to speak. And I think it is changing even in Paris or Berlin. I mean, like I am a very early adopter, so I might be again 10 years too early. But uh, I am very optimistic about the future of investing and technology. And there is a lot to come still. So you see thousands of entrepreneurs a year. Here in particular, it's quite international. Is there one thing that you think people misunderstand about the Valley and how it works and about how to create a company here and you arrive here and you have your idea and then dot, dot, dot? So I would say, uh, just to give you some numbers, 70% of the companies we invest in has uh, either a founder that is immigrant or you could say early uh, team members that are immigrant. And why is that important? You know, as a Iranian immigrant, I didn't have uh, somebody that would take care of me. So I had to work harder, I had to try harder, and quite frankly, I had to succeed. I did not have a choice of a failure. And if you see the teams that we invest in, we would love to see that passion and want to win attitude. And I mean, like, uh, quite frankly, I love people who study at Stanford, Carnegie Mellon, University of Waterloo, but the Technically, they are savvy enough to build what they want. But if they don't have the extra drive, extra passion, and I call it to be hungry for success, it's a long road to build the company. So I feel that is almost more important than the technical capability. Thank you very much for your time. I Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. And that's it. A very big thank you to Saeed for talking today in his very busy office, literally the entire time we were speaking. He had people kind of scurrying in and out in the background trying to get him messages. He's a man in demand. Uh, But I too have a demand, or rather a plea. Go to Apple Podcasts, give a rating and review. It really does help. We've got lots of great feedback, so please do keep it coming. Uh, I really do appreciate it. It's always great to hear from people. And in the meantime... You will find me, as ever, in the newspaper at the Sunday Times, online at thetimes.co.uk, on Twitter at Danny Fortson, and you'll find Danny in the Valley, of course, on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. Until next week, thanks very much. Bye-bye.